Hello and welcome to the After 7 podcast, where we pick up all the bits from the cutting room floor that didn't make it into our sermons and break them down. And this week we're looking at the sermon, Creation, the Foundation of Christian Faith. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Christopher and you are in for a treat because today we have quite a few special guests with us here in the studio. We have, of course, our regular host, Mr. Jesse Marks with us. Hello, everyone. Uh, We've also got a special guest hailing from Sydney. You may remember her from, I believe, episode five of the podcast, Miss Christy Godfrey. And our most special guest we have with us today, we have... Mr. Mark Harwood from Creation Ministries International. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, uh, look, honestly, uh, I have to say it's a bit of a <coughs> surreal experience mm. to have someone from the ministry here because I, from a very young age, I've had been reading through the Creation magazines and even the little stalls that you had outside. Mm. I was able to recognize a few of those books as being on my dad's bookshelf in the library and like... Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's so... Yeah. Uh, Definitely, like, it's amazing how far-reaching you, your ministry has been um, and the whole, uh, yeah, the whole organization. It's been really effective. Cause mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I've been direct, directly influenced, impacted yeah. by it. So I'm up with this stuff, yeah. yeah. So it's great to hear, Christopher, because it's the resources we find that have the greatest impact. Mm. People can come along and listen to a talk, and then after a couple of weeks, you tend to forget what you've heard. Yeah. But when people get hold of the materials and they read them that's when the lasting changes happen yeah definitely yeah well uh i'm so glad just to have this opportunity to sit down and get a little bit more in depth with you so for the listeners at home um we're going to go into the quick recap but just before we do if you haven't watched the sermon make sure to go to the link below come back here later because this podcast will be full of spoilers Now, with that out of the way, let's get into a quick recap of the stuff that you covered in the sermon. Okay, well, how do I do it quickly? Yeah. It's been quite a long time this morning, didn't it? (laughs) Well, when I say that Genesis is the foundations of Christianity, what I mean by that is that the opening chapters of the book of Genesis lay down a series of events that happened which really determined the course of the whole of the rest of God's intervention with mankind on this planet right up to the present day. Mm -hmm. So in those opening chapters, we read that God created a world that was perfect. It had no suffering and death in it. Everything was ordered just the way God had made it. There was nothing about it which you could have improved, which is why I think the word perfect is a a fair word. In the Bible, it says God declared it to be very good. When God says something's very good, then it's very good. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, into that situation, Adam rebelled against God. And that act of rebellion is what brought suffering and death into the world. And it's the reason, in fact, ultimately, why Jesus even came into this world. And uh, Jesus, of course, is uh, God in human form, God's son. And he came and lived on this broken earth and suffered a, a terrible death to pay the price for our sin. But as Paul says in the New Testament, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So it was Adam's death that necessitated Jesus coming to this earth and paying the price for that, Mm. for that Mm. sin. 
Yeah. Adam's sin. I think I've said that wrongly. It was Adam's sin which brought death, which necessitated Jesus coming into the world to pay the price for his sin. And uh, that really is, therefore, the foundation of the entire gospel. Yeah. Mm. So what I shared this morning was why it all matters because of being able to explain the gospel and that the evidence in the world around us, and I've touched on a couple of things, actually points towards the historical accuracy of the Bible. Yeah. So that was really the essence of what I shared this morning. Yeah. No, I really like that because it's true that if you don't have a proper understanding of the origins and everything that's established in those first mm. few integral chapters, you really can't get a full understanding of the later stuff, that's especially right. as mm. you were saying about the gospel and everything. Yeah. And yeah. I think you, you really start getting into kind of muddy territory when you say, when you begin to theorize that, for example, you know, Genesis is perhaps not, uh, you know, a literal history, but uh, is just some sort of figurative thing. Yeah. Well, it's a bit yeah. of a problem when you have Jesus or Paul and his epistles mm. referencing both of them as real history yeah. and as linked to real events to the gospel. So That's right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely right. As, you, as the title of the sermon implies, they really are foundational beliefs yeah. of Christianity. And it's unfortunate that many people feel the need to try and fit the contemporary scientific story of origins into the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, they feel, I think, intimidated by the scientific community. They mm. think, gosh, how can anybody argue against this extraordinary edifice of evidence that apparently proves the evolutionary story? Mm. But as I explained this morning, what is, uh, I guess, undergirding the evolutionary story is an assumption. Yeah. And that assumption is there is no God. Yeah. Now, if there's no God, then we have to explain everything in the universe around us in natural terms because yeah. there is no supernatural. Exactly. exactly. And the evolutionary story is just a naturalistic attempt to explain the universe around us. Without God, yeah. That's right. So when see when I was younger I, I used to I just assumed, well, God must have used evolution to create. Mm -hmm. And I made it see I couldn't even understand why Jesus went to the cross. Mm. I would yeah. ask people why why couldn't he just come and lived a good life and then been transfigured up into heaven, why the cross? Yeah. What's the point? And unless you understand that the opening chapters of Genesis are actually true, there is no point in the cross. Mm -hmm. So it becomes fundamental. So when Christians try and fit evolution into the Bible, it gets very confusing yeah. and uh, it, it becomes really hard. And I think that's one of the reasons people think this whole topic is... It's too difficult, so we'll just leave it alone. Let's yeah. pretend it doesn't exist and we'll yeah. just, just press on. Mm. But you can't do that. You need yeah. to have your foundations in place. As, mm. as you were saying, especially when it comes to young people, it's something that a lot of young people are confronted with, mm. uh, you know, just around us. And as you were saying, if we just kind of decide to stay back and not really address it, we're really not doing anyone any favours, especially yeah. young people. You even yeah, gave, absolutely. like, some stats and... Mm. That uh, that story of the, the the young boy who asked some questions and was essentially mm. shut down. Like, and it, as you said, that's not the response yeah. we should be giving at all. We need yeah. to be addressing these questions. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's get into our impressions, guys. So, Christy, what did you think of the sermon overall? Oh well. You I... have to be kind, Christy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always kind. Oh, that's nice. I feel comfortable now. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Like, I've never heard someone talk about evolution in that kind of way like you did. Um, it was just so really clear. Um, and 
I think I, I love like all the illustrations that you did as well. Mm -hmm. Like, did you make with all the slideshow and everything? Did you make all those? Oh uh, no, not all of them. We we uh, our ministry has um, a really great team of people who yeah. uh, we're actually based in Brisbane, and we've got graphic artists who wow. compile a lot of those things. Yeah. No, I couldn't do all of that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. thought it was so cool, like with the the two trees. Like you guys who are listening online, you really have to check it out because it's mm. really cool. Mm -hmm. Like. I, it's just so, um, for me, I'm a learner who loves um, to, like, visually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was really, really cool. Like, yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, but, yeah, it's it's so, so powerful how um, you used um, so many different, uh, like, things, like, that I, I actually never really thought about, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Mm. That's yeah, great. it was a blessing. Good. So, yeah. Jesse, what about you? Uh, thoughts, yeah. Just the point of Chrissy's about the tree. I really like the, the contrast between where um, men's reasoning go and where the Bible's reasoning go. Yeah. Um, goes, sorry. <clears throat> so, yeah, like where, where does uh, evolution lead? Meaninglessness. Um, yeah. uh, no purpose in life. Yeah. Um, all these different avenues. Um, <clears throat> yeah, suicide. Yeah, it's really quite depressing. But you look at the Bible, it gives people hope and meaning and purpose. Um, it leads to such a much, yeah, so much more fulfilling life. Yes. And I really like that contrast and the fact that these two um, ideologies just cannot mesh together at all. Um, like, I really liked your point about death, how um, the, the gospel, it's, it points death out as the enemy. But why would God use death as a means to create? It, yeah. just, it just doesn't make sense. Mm. So That's I really right. like that point. Uh, yeah. Really good. Yeah, that is good. Yeah, because that's a fundamental issue. As I said, that was for me growing up. That was the transition point for me to understand that you can't ascribe suffering and death to a good God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So God did not make this earth a mess, mm -hmm. full of suffering, death, random processes, little creatures ill-fitted to their environment, struggling to survive, dying. Yes. And after billions of years, he finally gets man right. Yeah. Yeah. Took me all that time. Yeah. See, yeah. God, the God of the Bible is a powerful, purposeful God. He speaks and stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let there be light. And there was. And yeah. it was so. Mm. See, that's the God that we worship. It, mm. It's interesting that, uh, as you said, some people feel the need to explain God's actions in a natural way. And so, mm. as you were saying, it took him this long mm. to finally get the product that he was after. And then, yet, uh, a lot of people claim, you know, at the second coming, where it says, in a twinkling of an eye, mm -hmm. people have an yes. incorruptible body. Yeah. And yeah. Wait, so, like, they, that part is easy and God can do in, like, a nanosecond, but yeah. just, you know, making them took billions of years. So, mm. it, it, it's... It's really, yeah. they're, they're making this kind of false dichotomy between God using supernatural at some times and then natural at other times, but who says when and why? It's just arbitrary. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. there's no real biblical foundation to really support that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, I, I, as I said, I've had a, a lot of exposure to what your ministry has put out and a lot of other really good ministries who focus on uh, creation and stuff like that. And so, um, a lot of the information you presented, I was actually quite familiar with, but what I really enjoyed was it kind of drilled back into me how imperative this topic is and how mm. we really need to address it. I had, I, I suppose I just hadn't thought about it in a while, the fact that it's just such a big question that people have, mm. and it's just something that we really can't not 
addressed and something that needs to be answered. So that's the real big takeaway I got from it. Kind of just invigorated right. me to right. kind of just mm -hmm. hit the books and get a little bit more knowledgeable. As you said, we have to always be ready to give a defense for our faith. So that was my big takeaway from I it. I guess it's also because we've grown up as like Adventists. Mm. We kind of don't realize the need on what other people think mm -hmm. in that way. So, yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Well, let's keep the ball rolling by getting to our segment, the drawing board. Christy, what is the drawing board? The drawing board is where we discuss the sources, inspirations, and goals of the sermon in order to better understand the sermon in questions. Awesome. Okay, so... Wow, yeah. that sounds a bit deep. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Very philosophical awesome. sounding. Getting yeah. to the deep stuff. Can I go now? Yeah. <laughs> No, you, you, not forfeited, just, not just, you forfeited that when you entered the studio. That <laughs> nah, yeah, so um, what, what were some of the sources you used and um, what would you say was your main goal in getting a sermon across? You, you briefly touched upon it already, but just, yeah. Yeah, look, sources, um, there are many, but I often say to people, in all the reading that you do, don't neglect to read the Word of God. Yeah, mm, yeah. Because oh, that is yeah. the foundational source and and uh, as i explained to the children at the beginning of the service the bible is true and mm. therefore we can trust it from beginning to end because it's god's word so obviously the number one source is the word of god yeah um other sources um you know most of what i use today in the presentation you can find in articles on creation.com our website awesome um and they're something like eleven thousand or more articles on that website fully referenced they're all there aimed at encouraging people to have confidence in the word of god from the beginning nice um and uh, i guess other sources the only the third uh, source would be just personal experience things that i've encountered and i shared some of those things just aspect of my own life's journey for instance um, which i was able to uh, to share as well and the, the intention, of course, is um, that people would be indeed motivated to get hold of the materials, particularly off the website, and to get equipped to be able to do what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you mm. to give the reason for the hope that you have. Yeah. That means that we can share our faith with confidence. Mm. And because uh, I know when I was growing up, when I was your age, I had no confidence at all. Mm. I didn't understand my faith. And I just want young people particularly to understand that they stand firmly on the truth. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm. my goal. Mm. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get into the main meat of the podcast, the cutting room floor. Uh, Jesse, what is the cutting room floor? The cutting room floor is the segment of the program where we discuss the parts of the sermon that didn't make it into the final product and we discuss them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look, there's lots of stuff yeah. that didn't make it. <laughs> the deep philosophical hole continues to <laughs> get deeper. Oh, look, most of it is things like, in the one section there, I remember I had that quote from Mike Adams who said something like, I'll try and do it from memory, you know, if Christianity dies in America, and I said that's the same as the West, the West yeah. Yeah. it will not be for a lack of evidence of its mm. truthfulness, but for a lack of the dissemination of the evidence of its truthfulness, yeah, right, which is all about us getting the evidence out. So there's rafts of evidence that I could have then presented, and I settled on uh, one aspect, which was the age of the Earth according to the Bible. 
And the Bible gives a very clear timeline and uh, that takes us through to conclude that from the time of creation to the present day is somewhere in the order of 6,000 years. Mm. Now, we don't know exactly when, but we know it's about that. It certainly is not millions. Mm. And I gave some evidences for that. But there are lots of other things I could have talked about. Um, one of the things I quite often do is to talk about the, the miracle of the origin of first life. Mm. Now, for those who believe in the evolutionary story and its naturalistic explanations, mm. they face an extraordinary chasm to try and cross to get from inanimate chemicals into the first self-replicating living cell. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the, the staggering complexity is just, it's just meaningless. I mean, you cannot possibly cross that bridge mm. in natural terms. And yet they steadfastly refuse to acknowledge the possibility of a supernatural cause behind life. Yeah. And they just say, oh, well, you know, maybe um, they acknowledge it's tough. And one line of argument is, well, yep, highly improbable, incredibly improbable. But here we are. So it we lucked out. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know? So um, <laughs> the lottery paid off. Yeah. You know? But it, it's actually a nonsense argument because you can do the statistics for, uh, or the probability calculations, for the probability of just one protein arising by chance, just a modest protein. Mm -hmm. And you discover that in the entire 13.8 billion years of supposed Big Bang history, mm -hmm. there's insufficient time to produce even one protein. Wow. Not even the remotest chance wow. that it would form. Yeah. <laughs> and life consists of hundreds and thousands of, of complex proteins all yeah. working together intermeshed. And not only that, they have to work in accordance with uh, the stored program instructions on the DNA of every living thing. Mm. So origin of life is one thing that hit the cutting floor. And uh, look, I'd, I'd still be here talking if I touched on all yeah. of these issues. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah, well, I think I'd like to also just get to know you a little bit more. You, you talked about um, the fact that at one point you were trying to sort of reconcile faith and science, and so you'd kind of adopted a, an attitude that God used naturalistic means to to fulfill the creation. So what was it that got you to where you are today? Like, how did you get even involved in the ministry and all of this? Oh, okay, that's a good one. Um, it was after my postgraduate work, and I was reading a book by Billy Graham called Peace with God, it's a very old book published in about the early 50s, I think. And in it is a chapter on sin. And in it, Billy Graham said um, something like, Adam was no gibbering caveman. He was fully mature, etc. And the point he was making was that he made a conscious, deliberate decision. Yeah. Um, the consequences of which he was accountable for. Hmm. And I remember as I read that, it was like the Lord spoke to me. It wasn't an audible voice, but a very clear impression in my heart that said, yeah. do you believe that? Mm. Just a simple question. And I remember thinking, yes, I do. And, and I read on and then I thought, well, that's interesting. So if I believe that, that means you can't have death before Adam because Adam's actions brought death. So if you can't have death before Adam, you can't, evolution's theologically impossible. Yeah. yeah. So if evolution, and I believe that the Bible's God's word, and so yeah. if evolution doesn't fit in the Bible, then I've got to rethink everything mm -hmm. that I've just learned yeah. in my years of primary, high school, undergraduate and postgrad work. Quite a lot to rethink. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. And, and it didn't happen overnight. Um, I started to read into the subject somewhat sceptically to begin with, I've got to say. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I remember going through the uh, first book I started to read and I'm making notes in the margin, you know, question mark, underlining this, <laughs> no, question mark. And after a couple of pages, suddenly it occurred to me, this guy's right. Wow. What he's saying is true. Yeah. Put the pencil down and just devoured it. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, there are a lot of things that, one of the things that uh, took a long time to, for me to give up was my commitment to the vast age of the earth. Yeah. It just seemed just too incredible that it could all have happened such a short time ago. And then I realised that actually what I was saying to myself or saying to God is that I don't believe you're powerful enough. Mm. And now I realised that's what I was doing. And, and I repented of that. And repent means to change the way you think, right? And, yeah. and so I realised that I was thinking of God wrongly. I was making him a little God. Mm. But the Bible tells us that he's an all-powerful God. Uh, he's all knowing. He actually could have created the entire universe just like that, mm. you know. Um, and and so suddenly, the six days of creation and the thousands of years of, of biblical history suddenly made sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but that didn't all happen at once. It was a, yeah. a bit of a journey. Yeah. Uh, and then I came across uh, we CMI was called something else. It was called Creation Science Foundation back in those days. And I found some resources and got involved, and yeah, the rest is sort of history. So I worked in the aerospace industry, as I mentioned this morning, and I retired from that in um, 2007. And so for the last 10 years, I've been basically full time uh, sharing the message. Yeah, I was hoping to also ask just a few things that were kind of alluded to <laughs> in the presentation, yeah. but weren't seen in depth. Um, one of them was the idea of gap theory. Um, would you just be able to explain to our listeners just a brief summary of what the gap yeah. theory is? Yeah. yeah, there are lots of different uh, attempts people have made, uh, well-meaning attempts, to try mm. and fit what people believe to be the irrefutable facts of the, the billions of years of Earth history into the scriptures. Yeah. And when I say well-meaning, unfortunately, those people didn't stand on the authority of God's word first mm. and then question the science. Rather, they felt that the science was indisputable, not being scientists. Yep. And the gap theory was first put forward by a guy called Thomas Chalmers, who was a Scottish preacher in the 1800s. And it was an effort to try and uh, reconcile what geologists were saying was the uh, irrefutable evidence for the billions of years. And so his idea was that between Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.2, there's a gap. Mm. And into that gap, you fit all the millions and millions of years. He hypothesized that there must have been a pre-Adamic race of people. Mm. Uh, Satan then rebels against God or Lucifer, and he's cast down to the earth. There's a, a cataclysmic flood called Lucifer's Flood, and that's what laid down all the fossils and the rock layers. And then God recommenced his recreation. So or his creation. So it relies on translating verse 2 or as oh, the earth um, became formless and void, yeah, not, yeah. not was, was formless and void. Mm -hmm. right? Now, the way the, the Hebrew, by the way, doesn't permit that. Uh, no Hebrew scholar would admit became as a possible translation. There's a word for became, so it mm. should have been used there. Yeah. So it isn't really a legitimate translation mm. at all. Uh, but Chalmers, in a well-meaning way, tried to fit it in. And, and it actually gained a lot of um, popularity. Many people uh, believed it was true. And uh, they thought it, it solved the problem. Uh, 
Yeah. But unfortunately, it doesn't solve any problems at all. And one of the <laughs> major challenges it has is that it places death, all those things in the fossil record are dead, right? They were once living, yeah. now dead. Yeah. Places death before Adam. Yeah. Again. <laughs> right? So, so every single one, I think I listed about six different attempts at, at compromise, fitting yeah. millions of years into the Bible. Every single one of them places death before Adam. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's fatal because yeah. to mm. the gospel, because remember, since by man came death, by man comes also the resurrection of the dead. Mm. Yeah. You know, and as Paul says in Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Yeah. Okay. Adam brought death into the world. So without that, you don't have a foundation for the gospel. Mm. Yeah. So it fails theologically. It fails uh, texturally from the point of view of Hebrew analysis. Mm. And... Um, yeah, it fails really everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> interesting. yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, you, made, you made a good point talking about the parallels between Adam and, uh, and Jesus, especially mm. in Romans chapter 5. There's a lot of that with Paul. Yes. And uh, I find it fascinating that Adam is called the son of God, uh, but he, he fails. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus is called the son of God, and what does he do? Mm. He, 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 he fulfills he fulfills the role Adam mm. not should have done, but you know like yeah, that yeah. The, the, as kind of the the leader of this kind of planet, he mm. reveals himself to be the true Son of God in the same way that Jesus fulfills you know all these other mm. characters or even symbols in the Old Testament. Adam's one of them as well, and you kind of lose that if you lose, as you were saying, the whole Adam idea or even the fact that. Um, if you you need death before Adam, otherwise you know did Adam really do yeah. anything wrong? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, and yeah. so there's no real need for Jesus or any comparison or parallel for there to even exist between mm-hmm. the two. Yeah. And later in uh, one Corinthians fifteen, around forty something, can't remember when, um, Paul speaks of Adam as uh, as the first Adam and Jesus as the last Adam. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, highlighting that contrast you've just made. Yeah. So from the last Adam. Uh, is reborn, uh, that company of believers, uh, born-again Christians, who are the church, the body of Christ here mm. on earth, which will be with him in eternity. Yeah. Mm. So you have the, the two um, groups, you know, the Adam as the father and Christ as the... As yeah. The mm. yeah. That's awesome. right. Nice. Ah, um, question, common question, but I, I think it, it is a question that many people have. Um, Carbon dating. Oh, ah, what? What yes. do you? Yeah. I didn't touch on that today. Uh, that was another thing from the cutting floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could go on all day about the cutting room floor. Yeah. <laughs> carbon uh, dating is often held up as uh, as a proof because people believe that carbon dating is an absolute dating method. Mm. Um, but what they don't understand is it's actually quite relative, and there's lots of assumptions made. Mm. Um, perhaps if I could just take a minute to give an, an analogy, that sure. might help you yeah. sure, and our listeners as well. Um, if you were to chance upon a bucket of water underneath a dripping tap in your backyard, say, and you, because you're scientific and you all are, of course, yep. Um, yep. you can't help yourself, you measure the volume of water in the bucket and the rate at which the tap is dripping, and you ask yourself the question, how long has the bucket been under the tap, right? Mm. Yeah. So... Uh, let's put some numbers to it. Let's say there are six litres of water in the bucket and the tap is dripping at half a litre per hour. Right, now you're on the spot now, right? So it's six litres, half a litre per hour. How long has the bucket been under the tap? Who's going to have a go? Who's brave? 
good at maths. Chris. Oh, it's <laughs> three hours, isn't it? I'm ter- I did general maths. <laughs> no, That's uh, my six, excuse. Six <laughs> litres of water, yeah. half a litre every hour. So it takes right. two hours to go one litre. Two hours for the next. Oh, so 12, oh, 12, 12, 12 hours. hours. Right. 12 hours. There we go. Nice. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to do theology. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Sorry about that. That was fine, uh, was it? <laughs> I, I think I'm going to have to edit this part. And, uh, <laughs> I, uh, Christy was coming to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, but think about it a minute because you've just chanced upon this scene. You didn't see the bucket put under the tap, did you? No, so, yeah. to get 12 hours, we had to make a number of assumptions. Mm. Now, what do you reckon you had to assume to get 12 hours? That the, well, for starters, was the tap dripping the whole time or was it yeah, running? Exactly. Yeah. You don't know that the tap's been dripping at the same rate all the time. Mm. See, what if somebody turned the tap on hard and then turned it off carelessly, just left it dripping seconds before you came around the corner? Mm. <laughs> so, you've got no way of knowing because yeah. science is done in the present. All science is done in the present. We don't have the past, it's gone. Mm. We don't have the future either, it hasn't come yet. All we have is the present moment. It's all God's given us. And that's all science is done in the present. The present. Yep. So before you turn up, you have no idea yeah. what happened to that bucket under the under yeah, the yeah. What else did we assume? The tap was dripping at the same rate, but something else. Was there water already in the bucket? Exactly. The bucket might not have been empty. We just assumed blindly yeah. that it was. <laughs> but what if it already had? So it was half full already. Your 12 hours would be six. I mean, yeah. you know, so the, yeah. But you can't tell. All you can observe is it's got six litres in it. But you don't know what it had an hour ago because you weren't there. So what it amounts to is you get a whole stack of assumptions. Mm. Now, radiometric dating is like the dripping tap in the bucket because in radiometric dating, carbon dating and all the others, you have a radioactively unstable parent element that decays at a certain rate to a daughter element. And the idea is that all the daughter element came from the parent. So if you take a sample of rock and measure the ratio of parent element to daughter element, you can calculate the age. Mm-hmm. But, like the bucket of water, you don't know how much parent element was in the rock at the beginning. You don't know whether some's been added or whether some's been subtracted. You don't actually know that the decay rate has been constant. Mm. You don't know whether there's any daughter element in the rock. You don't know the initial quantities, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know if some's been added or if some's been subtracted. Mm. So you actually make seven independent assumptions to calculate an age. Yeah. Now, yeah. you can get any age you like, depending on the assumptions you make. Yeah. <laughs> right? You might assume, um, well, this is a very old rock. We'll have to assume that um, some of the daughter element has been leached out of the rock uh, somewhere or other, so... You know, had that not happened, there'd be a lot more. So that actually be a lot older. Um, that, that fits our theories better. So we'll so you change the assumption base. Um, so all of these assumptions have to be made, but the problem is you cannot test any of them scientifically because you can't go back into the past to examine the conditions. So in fact, age can only be determined by an historical record. You know, you have to have a written record that says. This thing was made on this date. Here we are at this date. Therefore, by calculation, this is how old it is. So the historical record is how you determine ages, not scientifically. Now, people don't understand that. So what happens in practice is a scientist, a geologist, might take a sample of rock, uh, send it off to a radiometric dating laboratory. They use maybe potassium argon or uranium lead or any of the the many different radiometric methods Mm. there are. 
And back comes the data, and always the data spreads. There's a scatter of data. Yeah. So what do you do with your results? Well, you already know what you believe is the age of the rock. Now, what's your belief based on? It's yeah. what you've been taught, what you've grown up with, mm. you know. And so if you've been taught all your life that evolution is true, that these particular rocks are millions of years old, or mm. actually, more importantly, which you may not be aware of, that geologists never rely on radiometric dates for the ages of their rocks mm. alone. And it's not an absolute dating method. They do what's called a field survey. Mm. So let's imagine my rock sample is taken from underneath a layer of rock which is well established in the literature as being 200 million years old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, because my rock's underneath it, it must obviously be older yeah. than 200 yeah. million years. I can't have a 150 million year old rock yeah. underneath 200, right? How yeah. do you get there? So if I get dates back from the dating laboratory that mm. say 150 million, it's wrong, isn't it? Mm. It's obviously wrong. Yeah, so I discard, I discard it. But I found one that says 235. Well, it must be wrong. Yeah. So I published 235 million. Yeah. Now, if I were to try and publish 150 million, one of the reviewers would say, no, nah, that's not right because it doesn't fit. It's underneath an older mm. rock. Um, and they reject the paper. Mm. So it kind of feeds on itself and becomes self-confirming. So you end mm. up with what appears to the layman to be a neatly arranged uh, chronology of mm. rock ages that all fits together like a jigsaw puzzle. Beautiful, absolutely yeah. wonderful. Mm. But what they don't know is they're selected dates. Mm. Mm. And the dates which don't fit, they discard. discard. Yeah. Now, I'm not trying to have a go at scientists here because I am one, but what it shows mm. is how our beliefs work. Yeah. So mm. these guys yeah. believe it must be older than 200 million years, say. Mm. So if you get something which conflicts with your belief, what do you do? Well, you either discard it or you might shelve it and think, I better go away and think about that. Yeah. Or, in rare cases, you might change your belief. Mm. But it's very hard for us as human beings to change our belief systems. Mm. If you think about it, if you changed your beliefs every day, you'd be totally dysfunctional. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're grounded in our beliefs. That's why it's so important. And I encourage people always to base their beliefs on the Word of God, because yeah. that is the you know, immutable truth. Yeah. God's mm. Word is truth. So if you base what you believe on the truth, then you have a sensible tool with which to understand the world in which you live. So why is it that you think, um, it, it appears that carbon dating can be quite problematic in that, as you're saying, there's so many assumptions. Why is it that uh, we hear so often about it and it's so often used as kind of a point of evidence when it appears to be such a kind of finicky thing to work with anyway? What do you think is the yeah. rationale behind that? I should just explain, though, carbon dating is not where people get the millions of years from. Okay. That comes from things like uranium bleed and potassium argon. Carbon dating works on organic material only, like okay. bones oh, and things. Okay. Cool, cool. And it only works out to about sixty to 80,000 years mm. because any more than that and all the carbon-14 would have decayed away and be undetectable. Um, okay. right? So with that caveat, yep, sure. um, when people uh, refer to carbon dates now... Um, a good dating laboratory will, for instance, take into account that in the 1950s there was a lot of upper atmospheric atomic testing going on. And those atomic blasts uh, caused an increase in the amount of carbon-14. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Now, secular scientists know that, and so they actually should apply a correction factor because you're going to have a, a higher ratio of carbon-14 to carbon-12 in today's atmosphere than what was there in the 1940s, yeah. mm. because we've caused a blip. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. What they don't correct for, though, is the flood of Noah. Yeah. They don't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's now, for a pretty significant event. Massive, <laughs> massive. You think of the biosphere before mm-hmm. the flood. Right? God created an incredible world in which mm-hmm. we were created to live naked. So it tells you that it was an incredibly different climate. You can't mm-hmm. do that now. Yeah, yeah, sunburn yeah. and dive exposure or whatever. Um, so it was a radically different climate. We find in the fossil record huge uh, things like maple leaves and what have you. So the vegetation was lush mm. and rich mm. to an extraordinary degree, which, by the way, is why we have such phenomenal coal and oil deposits. Yeah. It's all compressed vegetation from the flood. Mm. Um, so at the time and before the flood, there would have been an enormous amount more carbon in the, uh, in, in the biosphere. Uh, if we assume that there was no carbon-14 in the original creation, that it's been caused by radiation from the sun uh, striking the upper atmosphere and high-energy particles actually causing nitrogen to become carbon-14, um, then there would have been very little carbon-14 initially. So if you found a vegetation sample from, um, uh, if it was still vegetation, from, say, around the time of the flood, uh, like in coal deposits and things, you'd expect to find a lot more carbon, carbon-12, and a lot less carbon-14. That gives the appearance, though, of great age, right? Because yeah. the less carbon-14 there is, the older the specimen must be. Must be yeah. But if there was less carbon-14, initially, it would make things look older, so it tends to stretch out the ages. Mm. The other mechanism is the Earth's magnetic field is decreasing in intensity quite mm. rapidly. Every 1,400 yeah, or so years, it halves in strength. So if you go back to the time of Jesus, it would have been about eight times as strong as, as what it is now, say. Mm. Sorry, to, not time of Jesus, time of the flood. Yeah. It would have been somewhere in the order of eight times as strong as it is now. Interesting. Um, now, that magnetic field deflects high-energy particles from the sun away from the earth. Mm. But as it gets weaker and weaker and weaker, more of them actually strike the upper atmosphere and produce more carbon-14. Mm-hmm. So you start producing... In, in other words, the point of all that is to say that the ratio of carbon-14 to carbon-12 is not in equilibrium. Mm-hmm. But the carbon dating methods assumes that it is. So, look, there's oh. just it's riddled with assumptions. Mm. And yeah. people apply their assumptions according to their beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's how the data gets filtered. Mm. I feel like I just got smarter yeah. just sitting in your presence. <laughs> uh, all that information, i got to process all well, that Well, look, now. the place to go is creation.com. There we go. Well, because you, you can't remember this stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. so the, the way to the way to do it is to go to creation.com, type into that search window any key questions you have, like carbon mm. fourteen. You'll find stacks mm. of articles on it. Yeah. Oh, uh, so cool. There's also a topics tab on that website, oh, which great. lists mm. a whole bunch of things like radiometric dating and yeah, mm. all awesome. sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I was just about to ask: Do you have any other apart from the website and obviously all the articles there? Do you have any? Uh, recommended readings, maybe like one of the books um, that you guys have that you think is particularly really a good resource for people yeah, who want to get to know this? In terms of books, Christopher, I would say the Answers book, Creation Answers book is uh, is great. It's got 20 short chapters that look at the, the key questions that people ask, Christians mm. or non-Christians. Uh, all the classics, you know, um, how do I know there's a God? Yeah. Where did all the water go? How did I know we get all the animals on the ark and carbon 14s in there? And where did Cain get his wife, that's the classic yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, the other thing I'd recommend is the Creation magazine that you guys mentioned earlier. Yep. Mm. Because it's, um, 
it's just written for lay people. It's a high quality magazine and it's a great witnessing tool. Mm. Yeah. A lot of people get the magazine, they read it, mm. and I'm always pleased when I hear that people give it away. That's yeah. it. That's because it, yeah. when you keep it away, it, it yeah. helps them to keep the message going. Exactly. Mm. Mm. All right. So Jesse, where can these people find you? Yeah, you can find me on my YouTube channel, just Jesse Marks. You'll find my sermons there, and obviously the links to the afternoon podcast. So, yeah. Awesome. And Mark, where can these people find you online? On creation.com. There we go. You can write to us by creation.com. That's the place to look for us. And uh, guys, you can find me also at my YouTube channel. Will be in the link in the description below, and of course on every fortnight here on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for coming and joining us. Um, thank you for having me. It was it, a pleasure. Yeah, it, yeah, it really was a pleasure. Really informative experience, and um, yeah, I just uh, yeah, I pray that as you continue on, like your ministry will continue to reach people because I know it's reached me, and I know it's reaching people every day. And so, uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, just keep that. We will we'll be keeping that going. We'll all be keeping your ministry in our prayers. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, everyone, make sure to come back uh, next fortnight when we'll be having another special guest. And with that said, have a good one and good night.